I'm Kim Forrester and welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. More than just the mundane or pleasure and pain, Eudaimonia calls for us to create a good life. It's about fulfillment, inspiration, joy. So plug in, relax and get ready for the goodness as we explore the characteristics and daily practices that can help you, your loved ones and your community flourish. Dacca Keltner is a full professor at the University of California, Berkeley, director of the Berkeley Social Interaction Lab and founder and faculty director of the Greater Good Science Center. His research focuses on the biological and evolutionary origins of compassion, awe, love, beauty, emotional expression, power, social class and inequality. Dacca is the co-author of two textbooks and several books, including Born to be Good, The Science of a Meaningful Life and The Compassionate Instinct. Now, it's my great pleasure to be connecting online with Dacca today to talk about what it means to be happy and to discuss the choices we can each make on a daily basis to live more contented lives. Dacca, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. A good afternoon to you over there in Berkeley. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Kim? Um, I'm fabulous. It's morning time here in Singapore. I have my cup of tea <laughs> and I'm I'm ready to be happy today. Now, <laughs> do you think that happiness is undervalued or underappreciated in our modern society? Well, I, you know, it really depends on what part of society you're talking about. Um, what I can say, Kim, being part of, you know, the positive psychology, wellness and happiness movements the past 20, 25 years is it's risen in value. There's no doubt about that. Countries care about their happiness. Governments are starting to think about it. Um, but, you know, it's striking that we see an undervaluing of happiness in places or sectors that really matter. Um, you know, criminal justice system. Uh, only recently in the United States have uh, has our healthcare system really systematically thought about promoting happiness. So we still have a lot of good work to do. What makes me ask that question, Dacca, is that there seems to be a lot of focus on how many Twitter followers you have or, you know, how many minutes you've spent on TV. We seem to be valuing ourselves and others based on these very superficial concepts and factors. And happiness and how happy we are doesn't seem to be appearing somewhere in the value system. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, definitely when you think about you know, the online representation of happiness in on many different platforms, as you're saying, you know, how many followers do I get? Are they pressing a little heart on the photo I posted or a like button or whatever the case may be? Uh, that really short trips and, and uh, is a shallow representation of what we know scientifically and culturally brings us happiness. Things like service and kindness and gratitude and taking time out to really slow things down. So I agree with the the thrust of your question, which is, or observation that, you know, we're starting to learn in the happiness literature about the deep sources of happiness. And I think it's a, a open question how well the online platforms will really kind of reflect that wisdom. So do you think that we were better at happiness in the past? Are there, are there eras or generations in the past who understood 
and valued happier more than we do now? Or do you think that we are actually evolving into a happier species? Wow. <laughs> so here's, here's how I, you know, it's interesting. I don't think since we've been collecting empirical evidence that it shows, you know, for example, the United States is getting happier. Uh, in fact, some of the data show we're getting more stressed out. And I suspect that's true in Singapore or Australia or other places. Uh, here's how I'd answer that question, Kim. And I, I really like the question because when I teach happiness at UC Berkeley or at the Greater Good Science Center online, you know, we say, look, happiness isn't one thing. It's really 15, 20 different practices that range from cultivating positive emotions like gratitude, awe, compassion, training the mind to be calm through mindfulness and other kinds of practices, um, and then learning how to connect to people really deeply and meaningfully. And so what I would say is in past historical periods, they probably were better at social connection. Uh, they had, they weren't, they didn't have technologies getting in the way. They weren't working 60 hour weeks, 50 hour weeks. Uh, they didn't have economic inequality. And so, you know, if you, I, I think if you were to look at the, in certain hunter gatherer societies, for example, you might be struck by how much kid, the kids play, how much they wander, how the people seem to be in more face to face time, but they were living shorter lives. So the physical pain really intruded here today. We have richer physical lives for the most part. Um, but we've lost certain skills of happiness, like social connection, and especially just slowing down and, and being mindful. The reason I asked that question, Jack, is because living here in Southeast Asia, we have many developing nations as neighbors. Yeah. And we can travel from our beautiful affluent lives here in Singapore where many yeah. people seem to be quite bitter and, and unhappy and go and visit the children of Cambodia who yeah. lead very simple lives in comparison and yet they seem to exude happiness. And yeah. I, I wonder if our materialism has somehow undermined, as you were saying, our social connection um, and those deeper, more intrinsic parts of ourselves that lead toward contentment. Yeah, what a wonderful framing, Kim. You know, there's no doubt. And when I teach happiness, I I warn the students uh, of all ages of the toxic thoughts that are that accompany materialism, sort of unfettered capitalism. Things like self-interest is the most important focus. They both toxic thoughts like you will find happiness in consumerism and materialism. All of the empirical evidence suggests. When we think about money, when we want to make money, when we buy things, when we are hoping to buy a new whatever, it, it negatively impacts our happiness. It reduces happiness. And I have just consistently had the same experience you have, Kim, you know, going to Nepal in 1984. It was one of the poorest countries in the world at the time. And, and the people felt just wonderfully happy going to rural parts of Mexico where, you know, the sort of material conditions weren't as wealthy as the United States, but deeper happiness. And, and that I think should serve as a reminder, not only of the toxic thoughts, but also, you know, what do we lose and what are, what are we missing? We know in the United States, 30% of Americans feel really lonely uh, mm. and they're really missing social connection. So great reminder. Um, that leads me on to what I think is incredibly important, and that is that I think many of my listeners here would assume that 
we become happier the more we get out of life. But you actually teach that giving is one of the keys to happiness. Tell me more about that. You know, I think this is this is one of these um, literatures that shook up not only the science of happiness, but I think many uh, of our cult or sort of our culture more broadly. You know, if you ask a person you really trusted who was eighty, and you said, you know, and you really re- admired them in the life that they've led, and you said, what brought you happiness? They're very likely to say things like um, the people that they worked with or that they lived with, the, the opportunity to serve in the career or in their volunteer work. They're going to kind of get to this theme of giving rather than getting. Uh, and we've known that. But what happened scientifically is the following, which is that first came along Elizabeth Dunn, an amazing young researcher up at the University of British Columbia. And she found we get happier when we give away money than when we spend it on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Most Americans believe you get happier by spending money on yourself. But in actuality, it's the opposite. We we get happier giving away. And then along came this kind of neuroscience and health science that showed older adults who spend more time helping live longer. Um, And then some of the studies of the brain showing, you know, Kim, when I give something to you, Uh, a reward circuit in the brain is activated just as if I was eating chocolate or getting a a nice, you know, massage or, or winning money. So giving has its inherent rewards in the brain. And so I think that is leading the field to think about how, how giving and service are at the core of happiness. That sounds so incredibly beautifully simple, Dakar. There's, <laughs> but the industry, the happiness industry, I think, has absolutely yeah. taken off over the yeah. last decade. And people all around the world are trying to chase that elusive sense of happiness. It seems to me that we may have some misconceptions about not only how we gain happiness or create it, but also what happiness is. Do you think that there's a misconception around the, the actual sensation of happiness and what it is that we're actually searching for, for a fulfilled life? You know, I think that's one of the deeper questions that, that I try to engage my students with and, and that you're raising is, you know, there's all this happiness madness now of articles in newspapers and magazines and, and books and ah, and so forth. And I think we really uh, we have to take a step back and, and watch out for some of the misconceptions. One, I think, is that is this idea that you can find happiness through just kind of maximizing your own sense of self. And, and you and I've talked about that. And that is really misleading. You can find happiness in money. A lot of Americans believe that for whatever reason, and that proves to be wrong. Another one is happiness is, and this is complicated, is that if you study it and if you apply it, you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and happiness is something you have to kind of build your life around, and then it happens to you. You know, you're suddenly, you're walking to work and you pass by a playground and you, you just become overjoyed watching kids wrestle on the ground or whatever it is. You have to kind of build it into your life and then let it happen. So I think we have to watch out for the uh, various misconceptions of what this state is. And again, a final one, like you said, is what kind of sensation is it? And it's really, it's not just euphoria. It's really subtle. It's a sense of beauty. It's a sense of the warmth in your chest when you give something away. 
so it's a complicated thing. That was precisely what I was leading to. I think that, and you touched on it just there in your answer, in that I think people confuse a sense of triumph or a sense yeah. of euphoria as happiness. So it, can you just elaborate then, Dacker, what does happiness feel like to you? Well, what I believe is, you know, there are what we would call multiple dimensions of happiness. And and one of the challenges of happiness and what it feels like to me, Kim, is and is to think about what are the kind of the 12, 15 really deep positive states that you can find. And for me, it is looking at nature at a certain time of day and I feel beautiful. For me, it is a nice pat on the back or embrace with a friend or a loved one where you feel the oxytocin surge of connection. For me, it's the chills when I hear beautiful music. For me, it is sort of the activation of the vagus nerve that fills your chest with warmth when you feel kindness towards others and you feel connected in common humanity. Another one that's really important for people to think about, and, and people often ask me, like, what are the um, three things I should do to get my teenager happy? <laughs> and one of the, and one of the, I know, good luck. <laughs> Wake them up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so what, but, you know, and I tell them like, what, do, where do they feel good? And then, which we've been talking about. Another one is just, where do you find calmness? You know, mm-hmm. um, is it in the yoga studio? Is it in sitting with a friend quietly? Is it in looking at nature, calmness? And then happiness has this, um, it's more than a feeling, obviously. It's also this kind of narrative sense of your life of like, wow, I'm living this life that has these chapters and these characters and dramas. And 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 do I start to see it moving in this direction that gives me joy? And uh, I think if you can find calmness, some delights, and this narrative feeling, uh, you're off to a good start. Wow. Well, the three things that I picked up from that answer just there. First of all, happiness is obviously about simplicity. Um, Secondly, there is no busyness in happiness. It seems to be very uh, quiet and peaceful. And thirdly, it is obviously about who we're being and not what we're doing at any particular point. Fabulous. Let's get on to the benefits of pursuing or creating a happy life, Decker. you talk about the five uh, benefits of happiness, and I just want to chat about each one of them with you right sure. now. The first is a greater life expectancy. You've already touched on this. So you're saying that if we can create a happier vibe in our lives, then we'll actually live longer. Yeah, you know, this was important work by Sonia Lubomirsky in a, a, a big review of studies. You know, what are the benefits of happiness? And, and one of them is, is life expectancy. Uh, no matter what stage in your life, if you're feeling more joy, less less stress, more calm, uh, you will live longer. And we're starting to understand uh, through other kinds of research the influences of happiness on your immune system, your digestion, your heart, your cardiovascular system, your uh, hormonal levels. So it, we're starting to get a picture of why happiness helps us live longer. And and the great thing is you're not only living longer, but you're living a longer, happier life. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so you've already touched on the second benefit, which is greater physical health. So happiness actually obviously releases all sorts of wonderful um, physiological processes that increase our physical health. Yeah, you know, and so one of the hot areas of inquiry right, inquiry right now is that happiness tends to, you know, let's say I practice loving kindness or I uh, laugh with my friends or I'm out in nature and it's really beautiful um, or I'm with a loved one. It, it tends to activate the vagus nerve, which is this large uh, bundle of nerves that connects your brain to your gut and your body. Mm. And all of the new science is showing that the vagus nerve is, and we study it and I wrote about it in Born to be Good, um, really helps regulate digestion. It controls, it helps strengthen your immune system. It actually it ta- attaches to little cells in your intestines, regulates the inflammation response. So it's just remarkable to me that these things that seem airy and lofty to get happiness, like practicing gratitude, actually have very direct influences on a part of your body that is related to physical robustness. As an aside, there is a growing interest in the in the gut. It seems to be a second yeah. brain in our body, but that's another discussion. Um, yeah. The third of the benefits is an enhanced social benefits. So we c- connect with more people or we connect greater with people when we're happy? Yeah, you know, the I mean this this is just borne out time and time again and and what gets really interesting is is you know, so you practice gratitude and you feel good and other people feel good. Uh, you you learn how to handle the conflicts of your marriage through laughter and play and touch, um, and your marriage does better. What I'm really struck by, Kim, is, and it's almost this magical quality, and there are studies now showing that if I'm feeling really kind or grateful or content, uh, my family or my friends will be more, feel more kind and content, and then they will go out and even though I'm not there, they're likely to make other people feel kind and content. So it really builds up these, it spreads through social networks. That was a, there was a Canadian study around that, wasn't there, Dakar? That um, if you are happy, you can actually increase the potential for happiness in people you may never meet. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it blows my mind <laughs> that, that it's that powerful. I also read somewhere that if you smile, people will regard you as more likable. Yeah, you know, the, I, I mean, we had this finding uh, in our lab from 2001 that was an important early finding in positive psychology that, you know, the warmth of your smile when you graduated from university predicted how happy your marriage was 30 years later. Wow. Um, people are like, how could that be? You know, <laughs> and, and, and part of the reason is when I sh- manifest these signs of happiness, like nice smile good tone of voice, nice patterns of touch, easy pattern uh, way of listening to others. Other people trust me. They, they feel connected. They want to work with me. Mm. Um, so it's, it's really important to be thinking about this social manifestation of happiness. Um, it brings us back to that old adage, you, you, what you put out is what you bring back to you. And you're saying that's quite literally true in terms of happiness and the way that you express it out into the world. That's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, enhanced creativity. Um, that is a really interesting benefit of happiness. Tell me about that. Well, you know, I, that one's been around for 40 years and, uh, it starts with Alice Eisen and, 
uh, and then it con continues with Barbara Fredrickson at the University of North Carolina. And these investigators have found when I feel lighthearted or I feel I've just laughed at a movie, uh, I'm feeling loving, what happens is the mind doesn't become stupider, uh, but it actually opens up and becomes more associative. So it forms associations with more unusual objects. It has new perspectives on uh, the, the, what you're looking at in the moment. And the mind, in effect, becomes more open rather than closed. And that's one of the hallmarks of creativity is, is that is produced by happiness, is it kind of frees you up, kind of gets different ideas in your mind connecting to one another in really productive ways. So the important question, Daka, here is that yeah. in, or, in order to um, enjoy these benefits of happiness, are you saying that we have to be happy in every moment of our lives? No, you know, I think there are three realms that we need to work on for happiness, you know, and one is the positive stuff we've been talking about, gratitude, awe, you know, flow, and another one is relationships, which we've been talking about. Um, and then the third is how you handle the tough stuff, the stress, the loss, the trauma, the injustice that is part of human living. You know, um, a lot of, you know, most of us will encounter enormous stress. Most of us will have a loved one die. Teenagers go through enormous amounts of anxiety at certain phases. A lot of us suffer from anxiety or depression. And, and there, in a way, I, I think that the um, power of the, ha the happiness literature is really at its greatest, which is you have to learn how to accept this stuff. You have to learn how to get perspective. You have to learn how to tell stories about the traumas in your life um, or the ruptures. And, and those tools help us handle anger and fear and anxiety and being blue. And you have a loved one die. Those are that's all part of living. And that's where happiness often is most important to find. Wow. So I'm hearing there that it's the point is not to continually feel happy, but perhaps to um, make sure that we're continually reaching for happiness. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I teach uh, this Aristotle view of happiness or the good life, which is all of the human experiences for the most part, you know, except genocide and and torture and so forth, and, and sexual violence. A lot of our experiences are just human. It's human to get angry at your spouse. It's human to be fearful of giving an important talk. Those are part of the human spectrum. And we do better reaching for happiness if we have wisdom and acceptance towards those human experiences. Now, I'm lucky enough to have been born in New Zealand, and I say lucky because until, ah. <laughs> until quite recently, New Zealand um, was always topping, you know, in the top of the happiness um, <laughs> spectrum in terms of nations. Yeah. Um, I also spent a year in Denmark as an exchange student. So I've mm. actually, I've known happiness on a social level in my yeah. life. And you say that um, our individual happiness, if we can, if we can expand that into a happy society, it actually has great benefits for our nation as well. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, you know, the United States, by contrast, is doing okay in terms of happiness, but it's not as happy as New Zealand or Denmark or 
some studies, Costa Rica. um, And what I think is really exciting is people care a lot about happiness and, and health, and in particular, the health and happiness of their kids. And we should be looking at the health of our country or our neighborhood in terms of how much happiness it brings to uh, the people we care about and our, our fellow citizens. And when we find there are parts of our society that undermine our happiness, that should be important, a part of our conversation as we build societies, as you say. So, you know, in the United States, we're learning, for example, well, what we know is happier countries that have better life expectancy, they have less prejudice, they have uh, a quality of life in terms of fellow citizens trusting each other that we would all really enjoy. And, and by and complementing that is studies showing uh, unequal countries with a lot of economic inequality tend to be less happy. Uh, countries uh, where there's a lot of effects of climate change tend to be less happy. So I think that this question you're posing of like, how do we take this science and build happier countries uh, in light of the benefits we've talked about is really topical today. Another really important one, you know, we know the amount of green space, which New Zealand has enormous amounts of, mm-hmm. makes people yeah. happy. Yeah. And so we should be promoting green space. So it's a, a really important question for all of us to be thinking about. The first thing that came to mind there is as a people pleaser and a rescuer myself <laughs> is um, I think it's beautiful for us to enable and encourage happiness in others. However, we must be aware of those misconceptions that we were speaking of earlier because yeah. giving your children everything they ask for in life is yeah. not necessarily going to make them happy. Um, rescuing your uncle or cousin who is constantly in drama is not necessarily going to make the world happier if you become unhappy doing so. Do you think that's important to sort of point out there? I've had the privilege of being in conversation with the Dalai Lama a couple of times, who, and he talks a lot to scientists. And, and in Tibetan Buddhism, they have this idea of tough compassion right? That you want to practice kindness, uh, like your example suggests, in ways that are good for the ultimate welfare, not only of that person you're helping, uh, like your child who's throwing a temper tantrum or a struggling relative, but also for yourself and also for the people around you, right? You should be thinking about this precious resources of your kindness and making sure it brings about the greater good. Uh, And so they have very clear ideas about how we can be misled by compassion, by being too kind to the wrong people and not being tough enough. So point well taken. Now, Dacca, I want to get very in-depth and personal with you here. Um, okay. you're, the, you're the founder of the Greater Good Science Center, um, and yeah. you've dedicated nearly 20 years to researching and amplifying these concepts of goodness, such as happiness. Um, how has the academic pursuit of happiness enhanced your personal experience of life? Oh, man, you know, it, Kim, it, it has, um, at every step of the way since I got into this, changed my life, you know, uh, and I'm actually, you know, to be personal, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that runs in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I've had periods of what you would call clinical anxiety. And, and I, you know, from my own firsthand experience, the the ideas and the science we've been talking about have 
have really opened up the opportunities for happiness. So, you know, when I learned, for example, in the happiness literature, how powerful just the attachments you form with your within small families and the people you love are to well-being, that became this central insight that, wow, so much of our happiness, even though raising kids is hard and exhausting <laughs> and expensive and all these things that might undermine your happiness, there's a richness there you can't replace. Um, it's really uh, in the middle of life now, you know, with certain the things that people in the middle of life, like illnesses and family and yes. friends passing away, mm -hmm. it's taught me uh, wisdom I couldn't I couldn't ever find uh, on my own. So this is a, an amazing science for people to really keep close to them as they move through life. Thank you. That was really powerful, Daka. I've got one final question for you. Sure. It's a question I ask all of my guests. Can okay. you suggest a morning reminder, so a daily practice or a mantra, an affirmation perhaps, that my listeners can use every day to help them create more happiness in their lives? Well, I would, I would suggest two things. One is to wait when you wake up, and then the next is some part of your day. Um, the first thing, you know, and it's funny, you know, Kim, I didn't study gratitude and appreciation. I, I didn't used to teach it a long time ago in the science of happiness, 15, 20 years ago. But there's, there's so much evidence on the, just the power of getting into a calm state with a little bit of breathing and mindfulness and then directing your mind to something you appreciate or feel grateful for this past week uh, in somebody else's life, right? So if you raise children, you may think about what you're grateful for in their lives. And then also kind of this deep gratitude of what are the things in your longer life that have been sacred that really have given you this opportunity to think about happiness? So that's one is really just to stay close to thinking about gratitude. And then the other is I, you know, um, I really encourage your listeners to find a place that where they find beauty and awe, a, a regular walk where they can go and look at a tree that gives them a little bit of beauty and awe or find a part of a city or find a, a park. Because um, that is just the act of beauty and awe and building it into a ritualized walk has a lot of sacred power to it. So I would think about that too. That's great because it seems to me there that what you're saying is there are two ways there that we can create or find or choose happiness. It's not about allowing it to come to us, but actually finding it where it already exists in our lives. Exactly. Now, Daki, you are a co-instructor of a fabulous eight-week online course called The Science of Happiness. I'm sure that many of our listeners right now are thinking, <laughs> how can I learn to be happier? Um, where can they find more about this online course that you offer? Yeah, so the online course, The Science of Happiness, and now we have one for work, is at edX, uh, E-D-X, and edX is a free platform where you can sign up for classes, and we've had tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people take the class. And thank you for your kind words. It's, it's really, and we have data showing when you take the class, you get happier. Um, just as I get happier when I get to teach it. It's really, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, and then the other thing that I would encourage your listeners to uh, consider is going to Greater Good in Action, ggia.berkeley.edu. And that's a free platform with a lot of practices to find happiness. And you try them out and see what works. Decker, that is just fantastic. I must say, I'm sitting here now. I've completed my morning tea and I'm starting the day with a smile because of that discussion with you. I'm very grateful (laughs) to you. Thank you very much, Decker Keltner from the Greater Good Science Centre. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kim. The Dalai Lama said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, then please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Till next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and choose the simplicity of happiness. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.